In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I would have to say, I think, that the image of the nativity is my favorite Christmas image. Better than a star or wise men, better even than angels or the mother and child. As I peer in on the scene of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, I realize that I'm looking up and looking in upon an idealized family dynamic. I'm freezing the frame at a moment of quiet adoration between parents and infant son. What is it that I love about that? What is it that we love about these nativity scenes everywhere this time of year? Is it simply a way for us to escape from our own far from perfect families? We also, this time of year, get idealized windows into other people's families all the time. <laughs> I see it in the flood of Christmas cards that I get in the mail. They're so wonderful and so joyful. Um, I see it in the unending feed of happy photos on social media. And these images of other people's families, they, they do bring me joy. I love seeing people happy. Um, but they also bring about somewhat of a sense of inadequacy. Why do we relish these idealized families of others? Why do we produce these images, too, of ourselves on our very best day, hopefully? I suspect that it's a way of escaping the realities of our hurting families. The worse our families are doing, I would say, the more we'd like to flee from them by imagining a perfect family. And sadly, the holidays bring out this pain more than usual whether it's because we cannot help but forget, but remember um, the spouse who's been unfaithful or um, the parent who is suddenly acting not like a parent but like a selfish child. Or we see um, and remember the grown children who've walked away, moved away, and don't ever come back. Or we're young and struggling with our own young family, seeming as though no one else will help us to take care of all those children. Perhaps, too, for all of us, this time of year, we sense the palpable absence of our loved ones who've died. These heartaches and so many others cause us to look up, to look out beyond ourselves for a sign of hope. But the sign comes not from those other families in the Christmas cards or on Facebook. The sign comes um, not from them because they're broken. They're limping along just like us even if they can also put on those beautiful clothes and big smiles for their card picture. And so we do need to look up, and we do need to look out, but we need to look somewhere else. We look longingly then to the family depicted in this window of the nativity. We hear it, we enter in through the pages of Scripture. We hear it and enter in as we sing the carols that evoke the joy in that stable long ago. We hear it as we act out pageants that we know so well. This image of the nativity, it's different. It's different than all the Christmas cards and the Facebook photos. Why is it different? Why is it a well-placed ideal? What is worth looking up to in this picture? And what do we see? We'll look at what we see in this picture, and then we'll also look at how is it that we, from the outside, get to enter into this picture of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. We see here, here at the manger, we see this picture of self-sacrifice, 
of selfless, humble love, of adoption, of great faith in a God who reveals himself in the most unusual ways. Here we see heaven touching down, even inhabiting earth and transforming it with a radiant light. And we hear and see in Matthew's gospel today um, just a little bit more about Joseph. We find out that Joseph was chosen by God to be Jesus' earthly father just as much as Mary was chosen to be his mother. Why were they chosen? Well, it was not because of any merit of their own. Maybe it's because of their humility, their recognition of their lack of merit. They know they are unworthy to be his parents. Mary, as we hear in Luke's gospel, was humble in the face of the angel's announcement. She was greatly troubled by the angel's greeting of favor. And then when Mary was presented with the task of becoming the mother of the Son of God, she responded with obedience and faith, even though the house of such a conception probably remained unclear to her, even though the reality of an illegitimate pregnancy could only mean social ruin and even potential physical suffering as an adulteress or perceived adulteress. Mary was chosen, perhaps then, because of her humility and her great faith. Well, I would say Joseph was as well. But Joseph didn't have the benefit of that supernatural knowledge about the conception before it happened. Um, unlike her, he had to find out that she was pregnant and she knew, he knew the child was not his. So what could he do? But he resolved to divorce Mary quietly. They were betrothed and not married yet. But still in that day and age, the only way he could break that kind of engagement was by divorce. Joseph had two options. He could have raked Mary through the coals at a public trial for adultery. But no, instead, out of love, he demonstrates how justice can also be accompanied by mercy and compassion. Unlike most scorned spouses, Joseph shows remarkable humility. He does not seek revenge. When the angel then appears to him in a dream, telling him such unbelievable news, stopping him in his tracks to say that Mary's child is a miracle baby whose father is none other than God himself, Joseph does not hesitate to obey. Taking Mary as his wife is an act of great faith and great humility. Because by marrying Mary, by naming the child Jesus, Joseph tells the world that he is the child's father. Others would see this as an admission of guilt. If Mary were accused of sexual misconduct, Joseph now is identifying himself as the same kind of sinner. For both Mary and Joseph, they must have been so humble. Uh, they must have been ready and willing to stand there in the face of potential accusation and resist justifying themselves, resist saying, no, no, not, not like that. That, we'd, you know, that wasn't our problem. That was someone else's problem. No, they said they were willing to say, I'm a sinner. Even if I haven't sinned in the way that people will think I've sinned, it is okay for me to be treated publicly as a notorious sinner because I am one. What humility on the part of both Mary and Joseph. What faith and trust in God. So what I would say then is that what we see here at the nativity is not just Mary and Joseph and Jesus, but rather we see two willing servants, disciples even, adoring their Savior, 
who just happens to be a sweet little baby at the time. How do we then um, look at this scene and find true hope? Unlike those idealized pictures of families around us in the cards and Facebook photos, well, I would say that we also get to enter into this scene, not just look on from the outside, but we get to enter in because of two different things that Matthew tells us in his gospel. We get to enter into this scene, this picture, this image because of the two names that Matthew gives us for this child and the meaning that those two names points to and the reality that is there in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So first, the prophetic name, Emmanuel. It's more than a name, it's more like a title. And it means God with us. Centuries before the birth of Jesus, the prophet Isaiah spoke of a miraculous child, a child who would rule from King David's throne. This prophecy was given by God as a sign during hard times to the king of Judah. And the fulfillment of this prophecy in Jesus, the meaning of this name, points both to the miracle of the virgin birth and to Jesus' identity as the Son of God. Well, what does it mean then to say that God is with us? Often we'll say to a friend in trouble, I'm with you in this. Or even we'll say, God is with you in this hard time. It seems like a comforting and compassionate thing to say, but you know, that only goes so far. Friends can be with us in solidarity, in trouble, in trial, in illness, adversity, even in compassion and forgiveness when we sin. But that being with us by a friend cannot ultimately overcome it. And so that I am with you from someone who is powerless does not actually bring comfort to us because it doesn't actually also bring a solution. There's no salvation there in saying God is with us yet or someone is with us yet. But the fact that the friend who is with us is indeed the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe, Lord over all that is, totally sovereign, all-powerful, come in the flesh, then everything changes. The fact that the Son of God humbles himself to enter into the yucky mess of humanity, the sin and the brokenness spiritually, but I also think even of the literal mess of birth itself. What a God have we. What love he shows us by entering in. What a sacrifice he has made. God being with us is good news because the God who is with us comes not in judgment and wrath, but in humility and mercy. The God who is with us is also the God who is for us in Jesus Christ. And so when we say, as we do in worship, as we did just now and will again, the Lord be with you and with thy spirit, we are affirming God's birth and death on our behalf. We're claiming his salvation for ourselves and we're wishing it and willing it for each other. So if God is with us, Emmanuel, that's the first name. But we also find out how God is for us in the second name, the name the angel gives, the name of Jesus. Jesus, 
That name derives from the Old Testament name Joshua. It means essentially Yahweh saves. Many other families in Jesus' day named their sons after this great hero of Israel. They named them that way as a promise for the future. Most people expected this future redemption of Israel to be military, political, or even economic. But their hopes were too small. So the angel is very specific to say that Jesus would save his people from their sins. In this, Jesus is given and his go-by name. We hear of God's work on our behalf as though that one word, Jesus, were like a kind of bumper sticker or even a shorthand notation for all of who Jesus is and all of what he has done for us. This is why the New Testament consistently says to believe on the name of Jesus, to pray in the name of Jesus, that there is power in the name of Jesus, that we are baptized into the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus, it's not magic. It's just a quick way of signifying all of who Jesus is and all of what he's done for us. I think that is maybe why one of my favorite prayers, probably the prayer I pray the most, is help me, Jesus. It's so quick, even calling upon the name of Jesus, just saying, Jesus, and really meaning it, not like a swear, Jesus says, I belong to you. I am yours, and you are mine, and you've done so much for me, and I really need you right now. As Christians, we are called by his name, Jesus. We are adopted into his family, and this is something that will never change. Early on in my brother's time in seminary, he got a meaningful tattoo in Hebrew on his back. Yes, really. Granted, it's kind of common now, actually. He hadn't learned enough Hebrew at this point, just after his first year in seminary, to be able to actually write the letters for himself, write them out for himself. And so he had to get one of his friends to put the letters down on a piece of paper so that it spelled the phrase that he wanted. And then he took those letters and that paper to the tattoo artist, who then, of course, put it on his back. So when my sisters and I found this out, as his three younger sisters. What in the world could we do? We obviously, we had to tease him because we we thought, we joked, your friend must have played a trick on you. We said, oh, Alex, your back reads, kick me in Hebrew. (laughs) Or we thought maybe it was something even worse. We had fun trying to imagine what worse it could be besides kick me. Well, thankfully, my brother's friend was honest. And my brother confirmed the meeting next year, the year after that when he learned Hebrew himself. But there, to his day, reads on his shoulder, by the grace of the name in Hebrew. Essentially, he has written on his shoulder a Hebrew circumlocution for saved by grace. But how amazing that it references the name of God, by the grace of the name. For us, if there's anything permanent about our impermanent lives as Christians, it is this unshakable fact of our salvation in Jesus' name. 
As Christians, it's as though we have that name of Jesus tattooed on our very souls. We are given his name, having nothing of our own. We are bought with his blood, forgiven. We are one with him and he with us. We are grafted into the family of God, that community of disciples adoring their Savior. And so, in the midst of our suffering, especially in our suffering, as our families ache and um, are in pain and are missing people this time of year, or there's conflict that we just can't even begin to look into, when we look up and when we look out longingly to the scene of Jesus' birth, we're looking not just at some kind of idealized spiritual world that we think we can attain, We're looking not just at his earthly family. We're looking at our own spiritual family. Though his mother and his earthly father, Mary and Joseph, are so much more, I would say they are first and foremost Jesus' disciples, having received him in humility and faith. What we see at nativity scenes is the beginning of a church, a family of faith, centered around the Savior. And so we get to enter in, too, because of the name of Jesus and what the name of Jesus signifies, all of his work on our behalf. We, like them, gather around in humility and faith to adore the Word made flesh, the tiny baby in the manger. This kind of well-placed idealism is real and true, participation in this family of the church does not form a kind of escape. It's imperfect too, and yet we worship a perfect Savior. Participation in this kind of family, this church right here, is um, something that, again, will not take us out of uh, the problems of our flesh and blood families, but no, instead, by his mercy, God renews us again and again together as we gather in his name. And he returns us to those flesh and blood families with hope, with strength, even in the midst of our own persistent brokenness and failure. And so, as we prepare for Christmas this last week, as we enter in and continue to worship, we can say, come, Let us adore him, Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel. Amen.